You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Matt Smith. Well, second time lucky. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to episode 90 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. 90. I know, 90, 90. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me in my kitchen studio this week is my co-host Matt. Hello, hello. Good How morning. Are you? Uh, we're, we're, well, we're good. We're, we're a little bit late. We are a little bit late. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, usual technical difficulties as always. You know. <laughs> I like don't know what you mean. You're just like the BBC. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they don't have anywhere near these kind of problems, I can assure you of that. Mm. There we go, there goes the video. Sorry, I couldn't get that to work for a yeah, minute. He's working, he's working. <laughs> it's all going horribly wrong. So joining us on the show this morning then, he hasn't got to do any homework this week because he's here live. Yeah. It's Pilot Pip. Hello. Good morning, everyone. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Just put Paul Trickers put in the chat room that you're a brave man, Pip. Mm. Why would you mm, be I a brave man? I am very brave. Yeah, no. So how, how's Pip then? How are you then? Yes, yeah, very well, thanks. Not too bad. I uh, had a late night last night, but uh, yeah, happy to be with you. Good, good. I've uh, listened to your latest show yesterday, good. and uh, had a good, uh, good, a good old listen to your show. That was really good. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Looking forward to your next show because you've got uh, Captain Al. Yeah, I should be recording next week with uh, the good Captain. Mm, Not quite good. sure what we're going to talk look forward. I, I, I dare say between you'll find something to discuss, I'm quite sure. I'm sure we will, yeah. <laughs> Two pilots on one show, blimey, it's going to be... Now, gonna we, be... now we've, we've been doing our best to plug um, the crazy thing that you're doing, uh, like mad Mr. Pip. Um, yeah. And how is, I've got to ask the question, how is the training going? Not too bad. You're talking about the marathon, of I course. Am. Yes, yes. Uh, yes, it's going very well. Uh, the running has gone quite well. The fundraising is going stonkingly well, actually. Oh, good. Largely thanks to everyone who, uh, you know, listens to the podcast, people in the chat room now, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so I've made a pretty good dent in my target. A long way to go. But, uh, yeah, I'm confident at least of doing the, uh, raising the funds, running, you know, a slightly different matter. Because that's, that's the only, a, that's the only thing with the London Marathon, isn't it? You have to raise quite a large sum of money before you're actually even laid, allowed to take part. Yeah, yeah. if you're doing one of the charity places, yeah. such as I am, then you have to commit to a, a certain amount of money, yeah. Mm. I mean, it's not huge, but it's, no. it's a fair back, I suppose. Well, I suppose it's got to be sort of make it worthwhile for everyone involved. But well, that's right. I mean, if, for many of the charities, it's a, a big, big part of their income each mm. year. Yeah. You know, they have maybe a dozen people running for them, yeah. and if they're each raising a couple of thousand each, it's... You know, it's a lot of money. I have to ask, Pip, on that when you do the marathon on the actual day, are you going to wear something that we'll all be able to um, to I, see? Identify you, because you might be on the telly, yeah. of course. I don't know yet. I've, I've not got that far. <laughs> ah, okay. Oh, dear. We'll, have to, we'll, all, we'll all have to, we'll all, as a, as a community, we'll all have to uh, club together and make it. Yeah, maybe I'll wear my, my plain Talking UK Yay. t-shirt with the holes. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right, just for that, we're going to make you some wings now. Oh, uh, dear. On a, with a cardboard box you've got to wear that on the entire <laughs> marathon that sounds like fun <laughs> right okay anyway enough of this we better get to start started oh actually no before we get started you had a lesson this week yeah i had a lesson this week i had another little uh, cross-country jaunt Ooh. uh in the 172 where did nice. we go today now that's not oh. the one you normally fly is it the 172 no the 172 is the four-seater cessna right uh, okay. slightly more powerful right. and um it, and it, it, it hates landing oh so okay. you have to force it down <laughs> to the ground uh but no i had a, had a new instructor um, Stuart, one of the guys that we talk about on the show every now and mm. again, Stuart, who flies yeah. a parachute plane where I've yeah. learned to fly. He's just got his, C he's got his CFI cool. and uh, certificate thing, and he's, he's, he's teaching people. And I, I was his first student. 
Um, and it's it was nice. It was kind of he was your having, first student. <laughs> yeah, he yeah I was his first student. Yeah, he was. Um, it was nice to have someone different and just sort of have a sort of see how someone else teaches. Right. Okay. And uh, I had a really good flight. I had a really well, good I, I, rem- I remember from the chat we had with Captain Captain Al, he was saying actually having a second instructor sometimes is quite good because yeah. you can then yeah. sort of you can see see the different styles if you like, and then sort of build your own um, sort of routine if you like um, by, mm. by sort of by having. No, it was very time. good. I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. It was a nice day. It was clear. And there was a slight tailwind when we came into mm. land back on two seven, okay. um, which buff, which moved us around quite fr- okay. uh, quite heavily. Uh, uh, but um, and what was what was the route? Where were you going from? Oh, uh, it was only it was uh, sixty miles round trip. Right. Yeah, it was only local stuff, okay. just round uh, round so around the coast, round yeah. Suffolk, uh, just sort of near the, near the coast. It was quite nice. Lovely. It was quite nice. Excellent. Okay. Well, anyway. Right, we're going to kick things off then as we do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Pip. I'm ready. And are you ready, Matt? I am very much so. Let's do this. Let's go. Just as I turn the mics up, Pip Singer, no, I love it. it. So the first news story then, kicking off this week on the Manchester Evening News site, and a bit of sad news, really. I mean, it's it's regarding the uh, the crash at Shoreham, the one at the Shoreham Air Show. But uh, Manchester Air Show is going to be called off uh, next year. Uh, the organisers, which host, uh, hosted their first event for over 20 years back in July this year, took the decision to call off next year's event after a review of national safety procedures. Mm. Next year's Manchester Air Show has been called off by the organisers after the tragic plane crash at uh, the Shoreham uh, Air Show last or this summer. Uh, the Manchester Air Show held at City Airport in Barton, Salford, was the first event for 20 years and thousands flocked to see Daredevil pilots and displays. However, the event is now being called off in 2016 following the accident at Shoreham um, in the incident which left uh, 11 people dead and 16 injured, uh, including the pilot who survived. Um, uh, it happened, the accident which uh, at Shoreham happened when the display aircraft, the Hawker Hunter T7, crashed mid-display onto a row bordering the airfield, hitting several cars and pedestrians. Um, Manchester Airshow said in a statement that they received a phenomenal response from the airshow, which is held on the July the 5th. And the organisers explained that, uh, in their opinion, that it's the venue uh, was suitable for the display, but safety is a primary concern. And they're waiting to see uh, what impact any regulation changes could have on future displays. Manchester Airshow will review any changes to the way airshows are managed and look at holding one at a later date. They said that they would like to thank everyone that attended the 2015 Manchester Airshow. We received a phenomenal response uh, from the event. Uh, it's sad, really, that they chose to do this. Yeah, but, I mean, I can see their point. Mm. Um, um, I've, I've not been to the Manchester Air Show, but no. um, I'm sure it was, it was a very good day. Mm. And it's sad that they're going to cancel, uh, unfortunately, cancel the one for next year. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's a tough decision to make, isn't it, really? But, uh, as you say, I, I can mm. understand perhaps why they're not so enthusiastic to uh, to do it. It's, it's in a lot of ways, it's a shame that, you know, in their first year of returning you know the manchester air show will be their last one for another year yeah Yeah. well let's let's hope they can maybe it's just i mean obviously because it was such a horrific incident perhaps Mm. they to be honest perhaps there's just more paperwork that needs to be done before where's your where's your nearest air show to you pip do you have a local one sort of local to you 
Duxford, probably. Okay. Really? Oh, I'm Cambridge. getting an echo on here. That's annoying. Hang on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Duxford will be the local air show. It's not too far from here. Really? Uh, there's also Little Granston. They, I think they have a, an air show there, just a small one. They've got a lot of war, uh, warbirds, uh, old Russian things and you yeah. know World War II era stuff. Oh, wow. They do a little display. But, yeah, you know, there's a few. Oh, and of course, Old Warden is, would be my most local one. Old Warden, I've heard. Uh, that Shuttleworth. Mm. There's a, if you've never been there, Carlos, you've got to get over there to Old Warden. It's a fantastic little airfield with um, hangars and hangars and hangars are full of super old World War I era stuff, and they get it out. In fact, they even have some Victorian era aircraft. Oh, wow. Uh, aircraft that are actually over 100 years old now. So some of the very, very first aircraft that ever flew. They're basically just a, a deck chair strapped to a bit of balsa wood. <laughs> oh, how they, exciting. If, you know, if, if there's almost no wind and the conditions are right, they'll get them out and, and fly these things. And I've seen them flying once. They're quite incredible. Yeah, I bet. Actually, uh, just going back to the, the chat room, and uh, um, Paul Trickery, he's actually just been saying that it's very sad news. And I think he's right. He says, uh, I fear it may not be the only cancellation uh, this year as a result of some of yeah, the accidents. It's been, a, it's been a bit of a rough year. It's, been a, it's not been a great year for aviation in general, really, has it? Mm. I, I think it's, I don't know, maybe you don't agree, but it's a kind of a knee-jerk reaction, a bit of a, an over-reaction on, on mm. Manchester Barton's side. I mean, yeah. how many air shows do we have every year and, and how many accidents are yeah, there? True. You know, you've got yeah. to accept that Yeah. the odd thing happens. You know, life mm. isn't risk-free. Sometimes terrible things happen, but there's no reason just to go and cancel everything. But we do we do live in in a crazy sort of health and safety culture. Yeah, don't we? Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I guess before any of these things can sort of be be you know they've they've got to go through it with a fine tooth comb because that's what we do, isn't it? <laughs> Especially here in the UK. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. mean, maybe they've got specific concerns at Manchester with mm. the with the setup of their air show. I don't know, but well, you know, I, I hope no one else follows suit. And again, it's one of those, isn't it? Where I mean, the advantage that you've got, say, with somewhere perhaps like Duxford, and that is it's predominantly a much more rural area. That the air show is taking place, and maybe right in the you know just on the outskirts of Manchester, perhaps it's just too built up. Maybe yeah, that may be a very valid point. Mm. Um, I mean, I, 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 I've said it before. When 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 the accident, did this accident actually happened? It was uh, the issue was um, to do with um, the fact that the air show. Uh, over Lowestoft um, scene, oh, yeah. and, and they sort of stopped doing that. And you think, well, that's such a shame because it's a perfect location, if you like, because the, 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 the event takes place out at sea mm. uh, and it's all okay. Um, I've just, have, you, have you looked at um, the screen? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, I can't see any different. Uh, no, okay. No. Ladies and gentlemen, I think, I think Christmas has arrived. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think Christmas has definitely arrived. <laughs> In, in the guise of a pilot. Indeed, absolutely. Yeah. What are you talking about? No, okay, fair enough. They're lovely ears, so next, by the way. Next story <laughs> is a special one uh, for Matt, it is, as always. Yes, a special story for me, as per usual. And uh, for some reason, apparently, I like being mean to Ryanair. I don't, but there we are. Never this is mind. a nice story. Is it? Is it yeah. actually, though? Anyway, the headline is breakingnews.ie, uh, which I presume is a uh, Northern Ireland um, uh, feed. And uh, the headline is Ryanair to carry 5 million passengers over the festive period. Period. Wow, that's big numbers, isn't it? Ryanair says it will carry more than 5 million customers over the Christmas period. The airline says that it's added, adding a million extra seats for the holiday season. The 5 million passengers are booked to travel between December the 18th and January the 7th. Wow, what's that, a three-week window? Mm. Five million passengers in three, That's three a weeks. That's a lot of passengers. Wow. Uh, across Ryanair's European network. Ryanair's uh, Robin Keelty, 
sorry, my apologies, Robin Keeley, uh, says Keely. that Ryanair will carry over 5 million customers across Europe during the Christmas period. This is an increase of over 900,000 customers on 2014, with record bookings across our network as people fly home for Christmas on the lower fares. That's cool. I mean, it is. I mean, we, we, I mean, it was going to be a busy period anyway for like mm. Ryanair or yeah, EasyJet. Absolutely. So, yeah. um, I mean, uh, they're going to have an extremely busy Christmas mm. period. Everyone trying to get home, get, yeah. get home for Christmas. Yes, absolutely. Um, are you are you working over Christmas, Pip, or have you got? Are you lucky enough to have a bit of time off? I'm working at the twentieth to the twenty fourth, so I'll be home <gasps> on Christmas oh. Eve. Then I've got. Uh, some days off, then I'll be working over New Year as right. well, wow. which is fine. That, I, that's what I request each year. I, I like Christmas off, and then I'm happy to work New Year. That's not right. such a big deal for me. I'm a bit like you, actually. New Year is always a bit of a bit of a non-entity for me. Yeah, days. it's I, a bit of a blowout, isn't it? it? Is, Especially yeah. with young kids. I mean, it's not <laughs> like we go out partying. No, no. And I spent many years sort of DJing, as does Carl now. Mm, um, you know, sort yeah. of work, working over New Year. So it was always a bit of a bit of a non-entity as far as I was mm. concerned. But um, yeah. There we are. Anyway, on to the next story. Pip, this one this is one with is you. This one is for you. Okay, is this the Emirates one? Yes. It certainly is. Okay, let me get my iPad here. So, the headline is Emirates... Other, to t- other tablets are available, of course. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, my, my tablet, not my, you know. <laughs> Stop interrupting me. My apologies, sorry. my apologies. I'm so rude. I'm very sorry. <laughs> right, this is from businesstraveler.com. Yep. Emirates to welcome 36 new aircraft in 2016. Emirates will take delivery of 36 new aircraft and retire 26 aircraft in 2016. The Gulf carrier announced its fleet plans for next year, which include receiving 20 A380s and 16 Boeing 777-300ERs. It will retire 12 A330-300s. Wow, I didn't realize they had that many. Uh, Four A340-300s, one A340-500 and six 777s. Uh, six triple seven two hundreds, two triple seven three hundreds, and one triple seven three hundred ER. The average age of these aircraft will be fifteen point seven years, well below. This is a quote, well below the average industry retirement age of twenty five years. Emirates said. Uh, Emirates will also retire thirteen jets in two thousand and seventeen, and a further thirteen in two thousand eighteen. Its current fleet numbers two hundred and forty four aircraft. Wow, with two hundred and sixty two on order, which includes seventy one A three eighty seventy one. Good lord. Yeah. 42 Boeing 777-300s, 115 777-9Xs, whatever that is, and 35 777-8Xs, whatever that is. Tim Clark, Emirates CEO, said, We are fully committed to flying a modern fleet that is better for the environment and provides our customers with a superior level of comfort and safety. With the retirement of older aircraft and the introduction of new, more fuel-efficient aircraft in 2016, Emirates will continue to lead the industry in reducing the age of our fleet while at the same time defining new levels of service that our customers have come to expect. Uh, in September, Emirates took delivery of four wide-bodied aircraft in one day. Well, good for Emirates. Absolutely. I know. What yeah. a huge fleet. Just looking at um, the 777X uh, pip is, is the, uh, the, well, the new, the, but new, the redesigned 777. Yeah, the even, uh, the even longer one. The even longer one, yeah. It's got the, yeah. um, it's got the slightly different uh, wing um, or stronger wings, uprated engines. They're doing a dash eight and a dash nine of these of the triple uh, seven, uh, the new the new style ones, uh, being planned to be introduced into service according to the site Boeing on uh, on twenty twenty two thousand twenty. Um, but no, Emirates well, they've got a huge fleet of aircraft as uh, as you just said, Pip. And um, I'm just looking through their history. They even uh, even used to fly uh, the seven two seven two hundreds, Pip. 
Really? Yeah, yeah, Emirates used to have those. And yeah. when did Emirates form then? Uh, Emirates formed in... Here we go. It was 1985. Wow, oh, I had no idea. Yeah, 1985. And, uh, yeah, they had, uh, they had 7272200s in uh, 1991. They had some of those. Oh. And they also had some A300s as well, which is uh, quite an old aircraft as well. Mm. But they've got the wow. Emirates do have the largest fleet of triple sevens in the world. Really? Mm. Wow. So yeah, massive. a few friends at Emirates, and I think they'll be glad to see the back of those A three thirties and A three forties. Not because reason? they're bad, because the, the routes they fly are not the you know the pick of the bunch. They right, tend to yeah. do the mm. the less desirable routes, at least mm. as far as pilots are concerned, yeah, into the the more hellish parts of Asia and. <laughs> yeah. The subcontinent. They're definitely the best airline I've personally flown with. I have with to Emirates. say, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. For mm, I flew with stuff. them once on a, um, I guess it was a three thirty, ah, Athens yeah. to Dubai. It was very nice, I must say. Yeah, Malaysia Airways, ironically, is the best f flight experience I ever had. It yeah, a lot of people said they're really good. I know, I know, mm. they've had some troubled times. None of which mm. have been their own fault, to be no. fair. Of late, I know they've had sort of difficult times, but uh, uh, it was an incredible experience. Um, and, and, and on the way home, I, I uh, thanks to the very kind generosity of the air, of the air stewards, I ended up um, coming home business class, and that was a whole new experience as well. Mm. Ooh, get you. <laughs> I know. Ooh. I know. So next story on the... Where are we here? Grab the right mouse. Travel Weekly site, this one. <laughs> Headline, Monarch aims to become most recommended airline group. Ooh. So the boss of Monarch has outlined his vision to transform the business into Europe's most recommended airline group. Chief Executive Andrew Swaffield was speaking after the Luton-based company revealed a financial turnaround of £130 million, uh, with uh, expected uh, pre-tax underlying earnings of £40 million a year for the year to the October 31st. The restructuring of the former loss-making organisation has seen long-haul routes dropped, uh, a consolidation of tour operating brands under the Monarch brand, and a focus on more year-round flying, following Greyball Capital uh, taking <laughs> a 90% stake. Oh, Pip, you're so funny. <laughs> oh, they put him on the screen now. Uh, Monarch carried 6.6 .6 million passengers this year, uh, with an average uh, spend on ancillary items up by 3.8% and revenue per seat up by 7.2%. Expanded winter flying for ski, winter sun and city breaks are planned uh, ahead of the introduction of a fleet of fuel-efficient 189-seat Boeing 737 MAX 8 aircraft from 2018. The flying program has been increased by 8% for this winter, helped by the introduction of flights to Tel Aviv and Ovida for Eliat in Israel from Luton. Moving forward, the switch from Airbus to Boeing aircraft will see a 15% fuel saving. Oh, there's one in, the, one in the face for Airbus there. <laughs> uh, Monarch has 30 of the new generation 737s on order, plus options for a further 15 to replace its existing 33-strong fleet. Wow. So, I mean, Monarch are going to have a, quite a really quite a, a relatively new fleet then mm -hmm. sort of in the next few, over the next few years then, uh, Pip, yeah, up to 2018. Yeah, they're, they're renewing... Um, with the 737s, and it's great news because you may remember a couple of years ago, Monarch had a real wobble financially. It looked, mm. at least from what I understand from the press, it looks like they came very close to going under, to going bust, because their main uh, investor pulled out. So for a while they were struggling to find new investment and new owners, and a lot of staff 
left and um, they had you know pay reductions and all this kind of stuff so it's good to see them back on their feet and it touch wood it looks like they're gonna gonna make it you know they've, they've changed their sort of company ethos they were a, a pure charter business mm, before mm. you know they were part of Cosmos Holidays but now they're a direct competitor to the likes of EasyJet and Wiz and, and Ryanair and all the rest of it so I hope I hope they survive because that's a mm. you know Monarch's one of those I haven't flown a you know, Monarch brands for years, that we have but... been around for so long. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, is the, those who are listening on a podcast, uh, you know, it's a very serious conversation. Those of us who are watching on the on the old YouTube in there, it's very difficult to keep a straight face, frankly. But <laughs> Pip's having this very serious conversation, looking very special. I think is the the best way to describe <laughs> it. Anyway, on to the next story. This is on the Mail Online, and the the headline is EasyJet and British Airways named worst airlines for flight delays, while Heathrow ranks last in in the airports, which is, I guess, not that much of a surprise. Um, EasyJet and British Airways, two of Europe's busiest airlines, have had the most flight delays on on the continent, according to claims in the new report that analysed the on-time performance of dozens of airlines and airports. The study included nearly 40 airlines, from large carriers to small regional firms, that have far fewer flights um, and, therefore, fewer cancellations or delays, and found EasyJet had the most delays, with nearly 7,000 between October the 25th and November the 25th. Uh, British Airways was second with just over 4,200 delays and was followed by Lufthansa uh, with 4,013 and Turkish Airlines with 3,449, although both BA and EasyJet said the report's findings are incredibly inaccurate. So we've got the full list here. Um, Cancellations... um, Wow, which airlines had the most cancellations yes. and delays? Absolutely. So the most cancellations was actually Lufthansa. They have that particular title. Uh, British, Air, uh, British uh, sorry, Turkish Airlines with 351 cancellations. British Airways with 321. And then Flybe under that with 321. Uh, so actually now Flybe's a much smaller network, isn't mm, it? Mm. So that, that rel- yeah, ratio... The, the thing with Flybe is they, they fly a lot in the UK and right. the weather is, as we all know... Well, yeah. Issue here in the yeah. I mean, their cancellations probably because um, Flybe do have a lot of new aircraft, the Dash mm. 8s and that. I think their yeah. cancellations are probably due to weather. Indeed, yeah. So, um, so Flybe have got uh, uh, 320, Lufthansa Cityline 193, Yamal Airlines 191, uh, Logan Air 170, EasyJet 169. These are cancellations, by the mm. way. BA City Flyer 138 and KLM City Hopper 136. In the delays. Uh, on the other side, EasyJet, uh, wow. EasyJet way, way, way top of the list <laughs> at uh, 6,967 delays. Uh, British Airways with 4,000. It's like, it's like over 2,500. <laughs> Actually, Dan, Dan Hannington's just put in the chat room that he flew BA this week and he was delayed by an hour on the right. airband flight. Really? Mm. Gosh. Doesn't uh, surprise me one bit. Really? It's really I don't think I've ever been on a BA flight that was on time. <laughs> really? No. Yeah, and I take a lot of BA flights. Yeah. What, what do we think it is then? Is it just... The, the, well, the... I mean, coming out or into Heathrow, it's their mm. whole ground set up there. You know, they, they've got the whole of Terminal 5 to themselves, but they yeah. can't seem to, to make it work efficiently. So just, um, just down to organisation, you're thinking, perhaps? Maybe, at least on the arrivals and the, mm. and the Heathrow operations. But, yeah. you know, mm. why they're always late getting off... I don't know, but no. uh, it seems more what? often than not. I mean, it's not huge delays. It's no. you know, you're talking only a few. Minutes. I don't know technically what they term as a delay. Is it five minutes or ten minutes? Mm. I, I don't know, but yeah, I dare say there's an, uh, there's a margin for error 
I, I guess. But uh, how, how about SafeJet, Pip? Are they always on time? We have a one hundred percent on time record. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Right. Uh, Good. Anyway, I'll just finish this 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 off. Uh, as I say, so six six thousand nine hundred sixty seven for EasyJet, four thousand two hundred twenty three for British Airways. Wow. These are delays. Mm. Lufthansa four thousand and thirteen. Turkish Airlines three thousand four hundred forty nine. Air France is three thousand three hundred fifty. Uh, is it Al Alitalia? Alitalia. Alitalia, 2,636. Aeroflot, 2,531. SAS, 2,048. Flyby, 1,762. And Air Berlin, uh, 1,70. Oh, that's not good, is it? Appearing in a list like that. And uh, a German airline. Oh, dear. I know Air Berlin is uh, supposed to be quite good as well. Mm. Um, I've flown them once. They were very good, actually. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, I'm perhaps, I'm, to be honest, I'm, I'm siding a little bit with with the likes of British Airways here, saying that this is in terribly inaccurate because, you know, you've got to, I'm, I'm obviously Pip's experience sort of perhaps leads towards what uh, what these figures are. But I mean, surely, you know, it ought to be about ratios. But if, if you actually look at yeah, the ratios sizes. of flights versus, yeah. if you look yeah. at the percentages, if you actually do that, percentages of flights out per day versus you know delays as a percentage perhaps it wouldn't look anywhere near as horrific as it it does on this table but i suppose delays and cancellations are not good however you however you dress them up mm. let, let me add two things very quickly i'm not surprised to see lufthansa or right. funnily enough lufthansa with the most cancellations the only flight i ever took that was cancelled was actually a lufthansa right it wasn't that long ago um and then uh, paul uh, Paul Tricker in the chat room saying that his wife and son flew to Lithuania on Thursday with Ryanair and mm. uh, Ryanair managed to delay both flights by 12 hours 12 hours? 12 hours. <laughs> That's a different day! <laughs> Good going Ryanair, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, can we, yeah, where is Ryanair on these two, these two tables? Yeah, good point. I think Ryanair are actually pretty, uh, pretty consistent. I, I will say, in, in Ryanair's defence as well, that, that all the flights that we've had with Ryanair, especially to Malta, have yeah. always Been either got there, or always got there, either on time or before, yeah. and we've always taken off probably near enough every time on time. Mm. Yeah, I, I, they I, run a very tight ship, the boys I, over I, right I'm, now. I'm always a little bit sceptical, though, because they, they do, unlike a lot of the airlines, they do build quite a margin of error into their times, don't they? Because they try and encourage you to get on a bit sooner and, and mm. all this kind of thing. Mm. So, but then maybe, that's, maybe that should be a, an example for all other um, airlines, really, is, is perhaps that's the, 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 the way of making the figures. Look. But mm. as you say, I mean, given the numbers... Um, bearing in mind that EasyJet has appeared in this in this list, given the numbers that are appearing, mm. um, yeah, yeah, Ryanair is not in that list at all. So, so next story for Indeed. you, Pip. Okay, is this the uh, the British Airways seven eight seven? That's one? it. Yeah, mm. dash nine. Okay, let's have a look here. This is from thebusinesstraveler dot com. BA to fly a Boeing seven eight seven nine to Shanghai. Ooh. British Airways will add a seven eight seven nine Dreamliner to its Shanghai route from next summer. The carrier will roster the uh, 787-9 onto routes including uh, New York, Newark, Tokyo, Narita, Jeddah, Houston, Mumbai, Boston and Dubai in 2016. Further details are to be announced. BA has also announced an extra three flights each week between London Heathrow and the Chinese city from February 20th. Uh, daily service 168-169 will be joined by 160 and 161 which will run on Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays. BA currently flies this 787-9, which includes its new first-class cabin to Abu Dhabi, Muscat, Delhi, Kuala Lumpur, and will operate flights to Austin from February 5th and San Jose on May 4th. 
BA took delivery of its first 787-9 in September. Um, so that's nice. BA flying all over the place with mm. its new aeroplanes. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, actually just going back to our, our, our previous story there in in the chat room. Um, and uh, Masha's uh, made, made quite a good point here. Actually, says does the the uh, the does this list include the strikes that Lufthansa had because that mm, generated an awful heard, lot yeah. of cancellations? So mm. perhaps they're appearing in that list, um, you know, due due to industrial action, perhaps. Because that's suppose. a very good point, actually, Masha. Yeah, Lufthansa did have a couple of uh, strikes over mm. the last eighteen months or so. So yeah, that may well be where that figure comes mm. from. Seven eight seven dash nine people set you back uh, two hundred and sixty four point six million dollars. Oh, Fine, no worries. Like I said before we started recording, I'm pretty sure I won the lottery last night. Excellent. <laughs> yes, yes. I, yeah, yeah. I'm not entirely sure how that's possible because I'm pretty sure I won the Euro Millions last night. Oh, really? Oh, Did mm. you? I bought a ticket and everything, so it must yeah. be me. Yeah. <laughs> must remember to get my lottery later. <laughs> So next story on Travel Mole site, this one. And the headline, American to launch new premium economy service. Oh, this is handy, just in case I change my mind and want to fly with those in February. Uh, American Airlines will introduce a premium economy service on international flights for the first time next year. Following its One World Partners, British Airways and Qantas in offering a class that sits between the main cabin and business class. Its new, wide, oh, new service will offer wider seats with more legroom than economy, enhanced meal services, personal on-demand entertainment, including noise-reducing headphones, priority check-in and boarding, and amenity kits. Oh, nice. Uh, premium economy seats will be fitted first on Americans' new Boeing 787-9s, which are expected to enter service in late 2016. The aircraft will offer three rows of premium economy seats in a 2-3-2 layout configuration. In addition to its main extra uh, main cabin extra seats, will, uh, which give passengers up to six inches more legroom than uh, economy, premium will also be available on the Airbus A350s, which arrive in 2017. Our customers tell us they want a class of service between business class and main cabin, and this feedback provides the genesis for our new premium economy service, said Andrew Nicolella, uh, <laughs> America's uh, chief uh, marketing uh, officer. Premium economy is offered today by many premium carriers around the world. We studied these offerings and developed a world-class product with larger seats, more legroom, improved entertainment, and upscale headphones with amenity, uh, and amenity kits, mm. uh, just to name a few features of this new service. As the world's largest carrier, we are excited to introduce this product to our customers. American will also add premium economy to all its 777-300ERs, 777-200ERs, 787-8s, and A330s over the next three years. The 777-300ER will feature first class, business class, premium economy, main cabin, extra, and main cabin seating options for customers. God, that's a lot of options, that is, for <laughs> flying, isn't it, on there? Uh, the Boeing 767-300s, oh, the older ones, will, be, uh, will not be retrofitted with premium economy Ooh. as these aircraft are scheduled for retirement in the coming years. Oh, oh poor old 76s. <laughs> but, uh, well, that's a, that's a massive option of uh, different mm. seating arrangements you have there. You know, normally you just get first business yeah. and premium and economy, but um, and we always sit in economy. But <laughs> I, I keep going back to our previous story, I'm afraid. Adrian's just put in the chat room. He says, I've always, I always want my Ryanair flight to be late. That way I don't have to listen to that crazy trumpet. Oh, <laughs> blimey, yeah. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Another on-time flight. Yes, whatever. I know. They've changed it, haven't they? Don't they have they? changed it. Yeah, they've got now, a new one we? now. Yeah, yeah it's not the trumpet one. anymore, is it? No. No. 
anyway. So, next story for you. Indeed, yes. And this is, again, on the Business Traveller website. And the headline is, Boeing unveils first B737 oh, That looks eight. gorgeous. Uh, Boeing has rolled out its first completed B737 MAX 8. The freshly painted aircraft, named the Spirit of Renton, was unveiled to employees at the manufacturer's assembly line in Renton, Washington. It will now undergo a pre-flight preparation and is set to take off for the first time in early 2016. Um, I'm just going to put that picture up actually because it really does look quite. Um, it really does look quite amazing actually. It's, um, it's lovely-looking aircraft, isn't it? I know. I can't wait till they, till they get all the, all the kit and everything on that. The second and third Boeing 737 MAX 8 test aircraft are currently in final assembly. And the fourth and final is in sub-assembly. What's sub-assembly? I suppose that's it. Kind know. of in bits. Right, okay. It's basically <laughs> in a box. Waiting for the yeah. glue. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, launch customer Southwest Airlines is scheduled to take delivery of the first aircraft in the third quarter of 2017. The B737 MAX 8 is a single-aisle aircraft, which will have a seat capacity of around 200 although the actual number will depend on individual airline configurations. Budget airline Norwegian has put in its uh, order for 100 aircraft, which will enable it to operate between the UK, mainland Europe and US East Coast ports, such as Boston, New York and Washington. A statement from Boeing said that the 737 MAX 8 is the first member or in Boeing's new family of single-aisle airplanes. The 737 MAX 8, MAX 8 and MAX 200 and MAX 9 being uh, uh, to go into production very soon. The 737 MAX family has nearly 3,000 orders from 60 customers worldwide. That's that's really crazy, isn't it? That is, yeah. yeah. Just uh, on the pitch you had there. Yes. And, uh, God, Pip, what are you like? <laughs> the, uh, the 737 MAX has actually, ha- has actually had a redesigned uh, wingtip. You know the wingtips we talk about? Yes, you know, yes. with the, I've uh, got a bit of a, the a, sharp an obsession with, and stuff like. with the little winglets. Uh, the 737 MAX is tr- introduced Boeing's advanced technology winglet featuring a mm. split tip. Uh, Boeing designed the device to maximise lift specifically on airplanes with airport gates dimension to ICAO Annex 14 code letter C. Wow. The device is a direct descendant of the winglet designed uh, by uh, designed for the McDonnell Douglas MD-12. Mm. Oh, I got that wrong on there. That's what it was, MD-11. Oh. Uh, resembling a three-way hybrid blended uh, wingtip, uh, fenced and raked wingtip. The pictures, um, you'll have to see it. Yeah, you had the picture on the, on the screen yeah, there. Yeah, I'll put it on. Um, Boeing states that the new design should deliver an additional 1.5% in mm. improvement in fuel economy over yeah. the... Uh, Improve it already over the expected improvement on the MAX anyway. Aviation Partners Boeing is offering a similar split-tip scimitar winglet for mm. previous 737 Next Generation models, which was seen on Thomson's yes. uh, Boeing 737-8. So they've got those yeah. scimitar winglets on those. I've seen those. Yeah. And they're, uh, they're the sort of the V-shaped ones, aren't they? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. These are the split ones slightly. It's more of a, a, yeah, of a, a jagged yeah. kind of um, uh, look to that. Absolutely. Have, you, have you got winglets on your, the aircraft you fly, Pip, on the uh, Hawker? No. No. Some hey, of them good. do, but no, generally not. <laughs> no. <laughs> Short and sweet. Uh, <laughs> he hasn't got them. No, no indeed. Uh, would, you, would you like them? Uh, you know, Christmas? Uh. <laughs> I'm, I have no opinion. <laughs> oh, oh was the, the, the picture, I haven't seen it yet, but the picture you put up, is, is that what we're calling sharklets? Is that what they are? But they're the split tip. Boeing are calling that the split tip. I wonder if that's the same thing as sharklets. Looks good, though. Mm. 
Mm, I'd be so. interested to see what sort of um, economy saving mm. it gives them. Mm. I mean, obviously, I mean, well, as you say, um, Carl, Carlos just read out the the stats, but obviously, it'd be interesting to see what what in practice mm. in the real world a uh, difference it actually makes to sort of day to day flying and things. I mean, you can make numbers up till the cows come home, can't you? But uh, until it actually go, until they're a sort of you know inactive service, you're not really going to know, are you? So the next story, Pip, is especially for you because this one considers okay. safe things, single things to do with yes. safe flying. Ah, right. Could so that be this to do is with a story podcast, from a flight global, and yeah. it's all about an easy jet aircraft. And the headline is A319 flew low over terrain as crew lost positional awareness. So the story says, pilots of an EasyJet Airbus A319 overflew a ridge at less than 500 feet after losing awareness of their position <gasps> while attempting a visual night landing at Bristol earlier this year. Oh That's Bristol in the UK. Uh, the aircraft was arriving from Glasgow and needed to perform a sharp right turn to line up with Bristol's runway 27. But the captain executed a turn prematurely and did not realise that the aircraft was north of the extended centreline and tracking an oblique course to the threshold. As the jet descended through 1,800 feet, the first officer told the captain that he believed the aircraft was out of position. The captain subsequently reassured him that they were on the glide path, but the first officer, noticing ground landmarks, including communications masts, which confirmed the aircraft was north of the centreline. By this point, the captain had halted the descent at 1,200 feet, and was also looking for visual reference points, and the first officer instructed him to go around. The A319 was 2.75 nautical miles from the threshold, but still one nautical mile north of the centerline. Flight data recorder information showed that the aircraft was flying at 1,200 feet for about 25 seconds, during which the profile of the underlying terrain meant its radar altimeter height reduced from 950 feet to a minimum of 488 feet as it crossed a 700-foot ridgeline. The UK, the AIB points out that the crew had originally briefed for an approach to runway 09 and that the captain had placed a five nautical mile range ring centered on the 09 threshold on his navigation display. Uh, in its analysis of the 13th of May incident, the AIB says the captain probably did not change this display when accepting a late change to the opposite direction runway 27. His subsequent use of the display when manoeuvring might have resulted in his unintentionally positioning too close to the runway 27 threshold. Both crew members then lost situational awareness, but neither communicated this to the other. Uh, it states that the crew did not update their brief following the runway change, which meant the first officer was not fully aware of the captain's plan for flying the visual approach and was not properly able to monitor. Uh, the AAIB adds the crew did not set the missed approach altitude until after the go-around. Hmm suggesting that the landing check has not been satisfactorily completed. Uh, EasyJet carried out its own investigation into the event and made three safety recommendations. So a little bit of a, a, a boo-boo from EasyJet there. Yeah. Um, so I've, I, got, I, I've got my other iPad, actually, my, my work iPad. Mm. Maybe you can see, so we can explain what's going on. Can you see that? Because I can't see the video feed. Oh yeah, we yeah, can see that fine. very yeah, clear. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah very so this clear. is this is a, a a VFR chart just to give you a situational yeah sort wow. of awareness. VFR so approach, they were yeah. I can't see it's backwards for me. Yeah. So they were making an approach for zero nine. Yeah. But evidently there was a, a a late change for some reason or another. It didn't say. So they opted to fly a visual approach round for two seven round to the right. north. So they broke off their approach. So there's a reflection there from the window. Yeah, that's fine. And came yeah. round 
4.27. So there's nothing wrong with that. Flying a visual approach yeah. at night is also fine. But I suppose from this story, some of the things that they missed were, well, the first thing is really, when you're flying a visual approach, you need to be actually visual yeah. with the airports. So that would be thing number one. If you're, mm. if you're descending below the MSA like that and you're not visual, then um, that should be ringing alarm bells. Mm. And particularly because they're, they're quite close to the airport. I think you said 1,800 feet. So that's about six miles if they're flying a normal sort of three-degree pro profile. Yeah. So they're quite close to the airport, and you would think that you would be visual at that sort of close range. Yeah. Um, so descending past that without being visual uh, is a little bit of a no-no. And obviously there was some high ground underneath them. So at 1,800 feet, that's above mean sea level. That's that altitude. But their actual height above the ground, because it's quite hilly around there. Mm. In fact, you can see uh, this is. Oh, I pressed the volume Sorry. button. <laughs> oh, damn it! The chart changed. That's the airport chart. Anyway, out here somewhere is is Cheddar Gorge, yeah. if you know that area, and um, some other hilly regions. So it's quite it's quite hilly. Yeah. So their actual height above the ground, as this article says, was less than than 500 feet. Uh, so the thing that that we do at SafeJets, and I'm sure at most other airlines, the policy is if you're flying a visual approach, which is great, there's nothing wrong with doing that, but you need to back it up with all the, the ILS and all the, um, the various navigational aids mm. that are available to you. So they really should have had, if they had the ILS set up for runway 27, it would have been very obvious to them straight away that they were not on the center line for that runway. Or perhaps if there's a terminal VOR at the field, I don't think there is at Bristol, but let's say there was, again, you'd see if you had that, the, the VOR radial set up for the runway, you'd see you were, you were not uh, lined up, you were a mile or so north. And even without all of that stuff, it should be pretty obvious, I would think, from the navigational display, if you set it up properly to give yourself a little bit of situational awareness, it should only just take a quick glance down to see that you're you know, not on the extended center line. So it, it's a, a little bit baffling how situations like that can occur. And you remember in the past couple of years, there was a, a spate of uh, aircraft managing to land at the wrong airports. What? Precisely yeah, for these reasons. You know, it happened a few times last year. I don't know yeah. why. But uh, aircraft flying visual approaches and apparently not adequately backing up with appropriate navigational aids. Wow. Um, so it, it's, it's an odd one. But I kept some good things here. The first officer... Uh, obviously was confident enough and empowered enough and experienced yeah. enough to... to um, query, query it, essentially. To query it and, yeah. and uh, you know, um, use his authority to to make the situation right. Yeah, So he, he queried it, good thing. Yeah. He still wasn't happy with it, so he made the call uh, to go around to make the missed approach. And, and is that the normal procedure? Like, If you, as a first officer, are, disagree with essentially what the captain is saying, I mean, is there a protocol in, in place where basically both parties must be in agreement? Or, or I mean, can, yeah, can, I mean, it's, you, can know, you have such thing as a stalemate? You know? Absolutely fully qualified. His opinion is um, every bit as valid as any other crew member. Yeah. Uh, so if he's not happy... And a good captain will realise, you know, if the other guy's not happy, then... Something's wrong. There's something's wrong, potentially, because, yeah. you know, maybe yeah. the captain's not got the... Does that, does that all come right in, into, into the CRM sort of thing? Bit. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and it's pretty good, generally. You know, the days of these uh, overbearing, authoritarian captains mm. oh, are yeah. pretty gone. You know, that's a... That's that, a that was the cause of one of the accidents we had, the, one of the bigger accidents we had in the UK many years back mm. with the uh, Trident. 
um, taking off from Heathrow, I think it was, wasn't it, Pip? That was a trident, and there was a, an overbearing captain who was... Um, really? Yeah, and they forgot to uh, retract the droop Ooh. things on the... The droop? The, 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 um, the slats. With the slats, the yeah, on, <laughs> the, bits, on the trident, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, that that crashed. Yeah, yeah, I'm not familiar with that one, but uh, yeah, you might be you might be right. One, but one there's some show. interesting stuff in this story. Yeah. Um, and the other thing was a little note there that apparently they didn't set the go arounds or the missed approach altitude till after right. the they'd already commenced the thing. So the, one of the things you do once you start your descent, mm. your final approach descent, either on the ILS or whatever approach you're flying, you'll reset your altitude selector to the missed approach altitude. Mm. So two or three thousand feet typically in the UK. Yeah. So when you do start the missed approach and the, the the flight director or the autopilot sim will automatically capture that altitude if something else is set then you're kind of in a uh, no man's land a little bit the airport the airport you fly from finish. at Luton there that's on that's on a hill isn't it it is it's about 550 odd feet mean mm. sea level yeah is, I don't know why they build airports on hills they seem to do it a lot does that prove an issue or you, you just sort of get on with it no, it's not. A, no, no, it's not an issue. I mean, no. generally they're the first places to fog out, and it gets foggy. <laughs> but um, no, it's fine. It's mm. fine. So next story. Uh, yes, indeed. Is Pip's story? Is it my story? Is it my story? No, I just read a story. It must it's, be someone else's. Yeah, story. It's my yeah, story. It's story. Ah. Yes, yes. So travel mall site cost of air travel falls thanks to cheaper fuel. Wow. Ah, this is good. Global airfares were down 5% in the first eight months of this year due to largely, uh, largely to a fall in oil prices, according to IATA's latest financial monitor. The cost of crude oil has since dropped even further, dipping below $40 a barrel. Hmm, don't see that difference in our fuel prices actually, here, no, we? that's not fair, because not actually... Yet. No, 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 because it has now dropped at two of the supermarkets here in the UK. It's actually now dropped to under a pound. It's really? now 99p. Right, I'm going to get some fuel uh, one, one at Asda, one at Morrison's, as far oh, as okay. I'm aware. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, other supermarkets are available, of course. So it's dipped below $40 <laughs> a barrel, uh, yeah. due to expectations of an increase in supply and falling demand, with a slower-than-expected growth, especially in key econom uh, economies like China. However, worldwide airline share prices fell 6% in November, November, largely due to concerns that the uh, terrorist attacks in Paris will lead to a drop in demand for air travel. Financial performance in the, of the airline industry has remained solid, said IATA, but this is mostly driven by Europe and the US airlines in other regions showing declines in the third quarter of the year, compared with the same period of 2014. Passenger loads reached a high, a record, a record high of uh, just over 80% in October, but freight load factors reached the lowest level since mid-2009. Oh, so fuel fuel is cheaper. So obviously, so, um, so where if 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 freight has dropped, then I mean, how is it everything coming by ship essentially? Then I don't know really. I, 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 we have to we'll have to speak to um, uh, Miami Rick about that on mm. the APG because he obviously flies a freight aircraft. Yeah, but uh, fuel prices down. So there we go, Pip. It costs you less to fuel uh, fill up your uh, your jet, save money. Yeah. Well, more importantly, my car. Yes. So that means you, you can uh, full throttle now across Europe and your jet pit beans as a yeah, we'll so blast cheap. around at full speed and, and enjoy <laughs> every moment of it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> stuff the Top gun your way across right. Europe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know th these low oil prices are a, a huge uh, factor for uh, airline financing and, and you mm. know their long term plans. Cool, We've yeah, already seen that many airlines are suddenly holding on to their gas guzzlers, their old 747s and, and whatnot, because it doesn't make any sense to get rid of them now. With, with gas so cheap, they can yeah. suddenly afford to keep running them. 
Yeah, and, and I think most, you know, people who know uh, are hedging their bets that oil will remain low for quite a, a few years to come. Mm. Good. Yeah, it will absolutely. Well, you know, know, it's good and bad. Yeah, yeah. Bad I, I hear suddenly a lot of the the automotive companies um, have shelved development of cleaner technologies because they thought, well, why bother if gas is so cheap? Yeah. Gas, petrol, so cheap then. Um, why bother putting pumping millions into to cleaner electrical or you know green technologies? Mm. But then you, you. So it's kind of a shame. You, as you say, at the end of the day, as, as as much as I enjoy driving, you know, my car and my bus and all that kind of thing, without the invention of cleaner technologies, at the end of the day, the supply of oil and gas will run out. There's mm. no two ways about yeah. it. You know, it, it is definitely going to run out unless they invent a new way of doing it. So. Yeah, it's, it's well, solar, we're, we're essentially solar power on, be no good today. Well, no, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's it's almost like night time. Yeah. I know. <laughs> absolutely. Anyway, on to the next story. Next story. Ooh, uh, good one for this you, Matt. is uh, on the Business Traveller website, and the headline is BA adds 3D surround movie sound. Wow. How the heck do you do that in a set of headphones? Uh, British Airways is introducing new 3D surround films for films screened on its long-haul flights. The technology is available to all passengers regardless of cabin or whether they have uh, whether they use their own headphones or a pair provided by BA creating an immersive experience the carrier said that the 3D audio is achieved by taking the 5.1 surround sound mix and creating a stereo encode which can be used on any flight in flight entertainment system but uh, not every film uh, will be adapted to the new technology. BA also started to roll out a new range of headphones for passengers in every cabin. Those flying in First Club World and World Traveller Plus will be able to use headphones cancelling technology improved sorry noise cancelling technology those in world traveler will have new silicon tipped earbuds with greater noise isolation and comfort ba also said richard de cruz the airline's in-flight entertainment manager said that 3d surround sound adds a whole new dimension to viewing uh, sorry to watching your favorite film uh, giving greater depth which really immerses you in the action and unfolding drama. Yesterday, BA announced that it add, will add a B787-9 Dreamliner on routes to Jeddah, Dubai, Shanghai, New York, uh, Newark, Tokyo, Narita, Houston, Mumbai, and Boston in 2016. 3D sound. How the heck do you get that in headphones, Matt? I don't, I don't think it's... I don't, do they just mean that it's really good quality sound headphones? Than the ones I, you normally I can't get. see if you've only got a left speaker and a right speaker in your headset and you're not plugging in a special headset, it won't mm. be surround. You, you can simulate a surround sound effect in a pair of headphones and you can buy them and it's actually got three speakers mm. in each thing, but you have to sort of plug in with a fibre optic cable rather, mm. than, rather than a jack because it, it does literally, like, like in the cinema where it does the whole mm. surround thing around you, it essentially simulates that by moving the sound, the, the parts of the sound, if you like, backwards. And I bet these headphones but, aren't cheap. Uh, no, I, I don't suppose they are. Yeah. And of course, you know, let's not forget, obviously, you, your ears are an amazing piece of technology in their own right, and they can tell when a sound is coming from behind or f coming from in front. Your brain processes that information mm. and all that. So yes, you can do it. But the way it's saying that you can just do it with a set of Earbuds. I, I, I question. I question that personally. But, um, but I wonder, hey, wonder who hey. makes them. I wonder whether they're using Bose or Sennheiser or some sort of posh make. For uh, their one, once again, other fabulous headphone manufacturers are, are available. available yeah. Indeed. So the last story, Pip, is another safety-related one, just for you. Super duper. Okay. 
And I notice it's got the hardest word of the entire podcast to pronounce. <laughs> Splendid. I'm really pleased because <laughs> I normally get these ones. This you. is great news. <laughs> right. Well, it's a Kerge 737 try diverting after hard touchdown damaged gear is oh, the man. headline. Investigators have revealed that, I think I'm saying it right, a Kerge, I assume that means Kyrgyzstan, that a Kerge-operated Boeing 737-300 suffered landing gear damage in a hard touchdown at Osh before executing a missed approach. Despite the impact, the aircraft became airborne and started diverting to Bishkek, but returned to Osh when it began suffering other system failures. Uh, the damage sustained by the undercarriage during the first landing attempt meant the landing gear subsequently collapsed when the aircraft touched down at Osh for the second time. Russian air transport regulator Rosavista, uh, I can't say that, states that weather conditions at Osh, which has a Category 1 instrument landing system, were below minima with runway visibility down to just 50 metres. Ooh, that's more like Cat 3 minima. Uh, the Avia traffic aircraft transporting 159 occupants had been approaching Osh on 22nd November. Rosaviesta says the aircraft experienced a rough touchdown and the crew aborted the landing, choosing to divert to Bishkek. But during the diversion, the crew encountered signs of system failure in the starboard uh, CM, CFM-56 engine, as well as hydraulic problems. Uh, Rosavius states that the pilots shut down the power plant and opted to return for Osh for an emergency landing in spite of the poor weather. The aircraft suffered a landing gear failure on touchdown which, says the authority, indicates that the undercarriage had been damaged during the first landing attempt. Uh, they say the aircraft effectively landed on its engines and the underside of the fuselage. It touched down about 1400 metres from the threshold and continued to slide along the runway for about 500 metres. While a small number of passengers sustained injuries and four were transported to hospital, there were no fatalities, although the accident destroyed the 737's undercarriage and engines and damaged the fuselage. Uh, it states that the captain had accumulated 3,500 hours on 737s, including over 2,000 in command. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, interesting. They. It doesn't say what... Uh, there's a few questions here. So they, they made a, a, an initial landing mm. but a at this place, yeah. Osh, mm. which only had a Cat 1 ILS, which would bring them down to 200 feet and has an RVR of 550 metres, right. if you're working in metres. But the weather at the time, apparently, according to this article, was only 50 metres. So a good 500 metres short of the minimum they would need to make the approach. Oh. So, uh, the question mark there, I'm not quite sure what that's about, mm. but possibly making a, an approach way below minima, and then mm. apparently a very hard landing followed, which then damaged the undercarriage. So I, again, there's some questions there. Did they? It sounds a bit odd to, mm. to once the aircraft touched down, to then make uh, a sort of a bolt landing, right. which was it technically, so it's not a missed approach at that point, it's a bolt <laughs> landing, but technicalities mm. so whether they kind of slammed it on the runway and the thing just lifted back into the air like right. you know like probably your landings do carlos rude how rude accurate but rude uh, <laughs> so yeah maybe bounced and they they threw it away at that point but i don't know once the aircraft's down you know the spoilers come out and everything yeah. they generally yeah. stay on the deck yeah um and then they made a missed approach from there sounds a bit odd 
And then obviously they, they realized once they were back up in the air that things weren't going well. Mm. Had some engine malfunctions, doesn't say exactly what. Mm. And then again decided to return single engine this time into some really um, less than ideal weather. Mm. Uh, so I, I don't know... I don't know what was going on there. There's a, a, lots of details that uh, we've not been told there, but uh, no. it all sounds a little bit fishy. Yeah, and uh, just a, a massive mess. I think is the best way to describe it. But there's been a lot of instances, you know, with mm. with landing gear problems with the with the seven threes over mm. the last few months. But I mean, you know, they've all got their own mm. reasons as yeah. to what what caused them. I think. Well, um, here we are. Yes. So. That's where we're going to bring the we commercial are. side segment to yeah. a close on the show. We've got uh, the last of the in uh, interviews from the Malta International Air yep. Show to play you. Yeah, we're going to put those uh, out We're going to put those now. out for you next. Yep. Uh, we haven't got a segment from Pip this week, unfortunately. Oh, um, dear. Honestly, been <laughs> slacking. <laughs> guy is so unreliable. <laughs> <laughs> Much rather have you in person, to be fair, Pip. I know, Ooh, I know. You. But we've got, uh, we've, like I said, we've got the interviews next with, from the yep. air show. We've got uh, the yep. military segment we're going to bring to you after that. And we've got a top ten, which we promised we'd bring you Ooh. this week. We've got quite a big top ten for this week on the military segment this Lovely. week okay, to good. bring you. And then we've got the details again of our competition. We're yes, running competition. Uh, for yeah. Christmas this year yep. Uh, yep. to win the Flying Wild Alaska box set, which Ooh. is pretty awesome. Actually, and just before we do that, um, we're, we're recording. Um, we're going to put a couple of shows out over Christmas and New Year. And uh, we're, we're going to record the segments and stuff for that uh, today. Mm -hmm. um, we've got um, the, uh, in Malta, you went to a museum, didn't you? Yeah, Carl? yeah, the Malta Aviation Museum. What we're going to do, we've, we've split though, or split that um, into, sort of two into two shows. Two shows yep. And we're going to put those two shows out over Christmas yep. okay. um, with the, uh, the massive, massive walk round I had. Mm, yeah. uh, from Looking the, forward to hearing yeah, it. Yeah, with that uh, yeah. museum. It was fantastic. But uh, what I'd like people to do, if anybody's up for it, because we love getting your audio yes, feedback. Yes. Back. Listen um, to Matt now. Yeah, absolutely. He's got some listen, important listen information. Good. Yes, absolutely. When I put those out, we'd also like to put out a little segment of uh, the audio feedback that you guys have sent us, uh, wishing everybody who listens to the podcast a very Merry Christmas. So if you would like to, please, you send it to our usual email mail address, that is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. That's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. It doesn't matter what format it's in. You just record a file on your phone, uh, on your iPhone, on your Android handset, whichever device you have, even the Nokia ones uh, will, will do it. Just, just record that audio for, back, feedback for us, send that to us, and then we'll include um, your feedback in our Christmas and New Year shows. So please make sure you do that because it'd be great to hear from as many people as possible. We are in the studio here along with the legend that is Pip who uh, has got his silly hats on. Uh, we're now going to uh, we're now going to have put out the uh, the last set of interviews from yeah. the Malta Air Show while we have a cup of tea. So yeah, so the, the uh, two we've got left, we've got uh, one, the first one you'll hear is uh, the interview I've done with Marcus Collenbeck. He mm -hmm. was the the captain and deployment commander for the NATO AWACS, wow. um, the early warning uh, platform aircraft. Um, and the one after that will be with uh, Joe Chiliberti. He is the, the actual organizer, the main, ma the main man, the manager who organized and put together, along with his, uh, his helpers, the uh, Malta International Air Show. And then there's just a short one from me, um, just signing giving a, a signing off from, <laughs> uh, from the air show. So we're going to play those for you right now. Okay, so I'm back again then at the Malta International Air Show 2015, and uh, I'm lucky indeed to be standing uh, right behind uh, a NATO AWACS, and uh, with me is 
Marcus Glack-Hallenberg. Uh, I'm the captain of this ship, and I am also the deployment commander. Wow, so I've got I've got everyone here in one in one person there. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yes. <laughs> so what's uh, what's your role then? Yeah, I'm a pilot on this aircraft. I'm an instructor, and uh, today I'm basically here to to coordinate our presence here and to make this open display happen, uh, so the crowd can enjoy the aircraft from the inside. Wow, so you've got the uh, general public going through the aircraft itself, which is, must be uh, quite uh, uh, amazing for a lot of people who have seen this aircraft in the sky and, and always wanted to go on board. So that's, that's very kind of you to let these people go on. Yeah, um, it's, it's a special thing for, for the public, I recognize, because sometimes it's like considered a mystery. It's an airplane without windows, and you never really know what's, uh, what's inside. There's this tiny bit on top, this roof rack, and uh, nobody really knows, or not many people know, what's inside it, actually. Okay, so this aircraft itself, is it, is, I'm right in saying it's based on the uh, Boeing 707? That is correct. It's a converted Boeing 707 airframe uh, with a lot of electronics inside, and obviously the most noticeable, we have the rotodome on top. Okay, and the modifications, obviously, it's, it's had a lot of modifications. Is it, does this come off the factory plane as, as stock, or is this completely modified from standard? It is completely modified from standard, and uh, there's a few major differences, like there's no thrust diversers on the engines, like uh, the normal 707 has uh, this um, slowdown and stopping device. We don't have that. So how, how do you stop? Well, we have brakes. <laughs> we have good brakes. Yeah, I was going to say, you must have very good brakes, yeah. So what sort kind of, uh, sort of missions and roles and stuff this aircraft uh, is, is sort of primarily used for? Yeah, AWACS stands for airborne early warning and control system so actually we provide a radar picture from up above to augment the ground-based radars because uh, you imagine radar is line of sight and if somebody would fly low level and hide behind a mountain then the mountain uh, the ground-based radar wouldn't see him so we augment that picture we uh, put it on a data link we'll send it down to the ground radar stations and then we'll uh, build the so-called recognized air picture Oh, cool. So the aircraft itself, what's, uh, what's, it, like, what's it like to fly to pilot this aircraft with, with that big uh, radar dome on top? Well, the rotor dome is quite, uh, let's say, aerodynamically neutral, but it obviously poses some, uh, some restrictions to the aircraft, so we can't fly as fast as a normal 707. We are not as maneuverable on, as a 707, so it's a little, bore, a little bit more, uh, let's say, uh, sluggish to fly. No, it flies nice but you have to know its uh, restrictions so you have to have special training to fly this aircraft in yeah we do in-house training in Garlenkirchen so uh, we have uh, air crews from all from 16 uh, NATO countries come to Garlenkirchen and we convert them to the aircraft in about a six-month training course and uh, they learn to fly uh, they learn to employ the aircraft in a worldwide mission oh, brilliant so you're here this is your first time obviously at the Malta air show Personally, it's the first time at the Malta Airshow. I've been to Malta before with the aircraft, uh, but uh, I recognize that the aircraft has been here before, and it's a magnet to the to the public. And we always try to to bring it if possible. Oh, that's great. Well, you brought some good weather with you anyway. It's been really it's a good, good, lovely, uh, sunny day here today. Hopefully, it will last uh, for the day. Uh, so you're not you're just on static display, not uh, flying the aircraft uh, during the display. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, we are just static display because flying is much more effort and we can't, we can't uh, provide both. And we can't obviously send two aircraft to uh, do a static and a flying display, so we prefer a static display to show it to the crowd thoroughly. 
So did you bring uh, a whole crew with you of other personnel on board uh, to the show? Yes, we brought a whole crew. Uh, we brought a whole crew primarily to uh, to show the aircraft. It's quite warm inside. We don't have an air conditioner on, so we have shift system, and uh, the crew should be able to rest as well in between the shifts to be able to run a eight-hour display. Oh, brilliant! So, a bit about yourself, then. How how did your career start? Was it an early age, an early uh, passion for aviation and flying, or did you start flying at an early age? Um, I'm the Top Gun generation, but I have to disappoint you. I'm not one of the guys uh, standing by the airport and wishing to be a pilot. So it happened to come to pass that I became a pilot after volunteering for the Air Force. Um, I flew the F-4 Phantom uh, before in Germany. And then uh, about 11 years ago, I transferred to the AWACS and I'm hop hopefully staying until the end of, the, of my career in this field and uh, train people. Okay, so are you uh, rated on any other aircraft? Can you fly any other uh, any other aircraft? Uh, I'm only rated on this uh, in the military, and it's not foreseen to fly any other aircraft usually in the military. But obviously, I could. I have an ATPL, so there's options to fly other airframes. Obviously, after some training and, and difference uh, difference training. So, do you get to fly any other aircraft at all in your private time, sort of uh, sort of private flying Cessnas or? Yeah, not currently, but I, I try to pick it up a little more, but obviously it takes some effort and uh, I haven't uh, spent the time yet just to fly on the civilian side. Okay, so what's the future hold for you? What have you got plans? Any big plans for the future? Well, not not really. I, I hope I can stay on this and uh, continue flying until I go to my pension. <laughs> Which is years and years away, I'm sure. It is indeed unfortunately <laughs> excellent well thank you ever so much for uh, giving your time today for the plane talking uk podcast it's been great to speak to you and it's great to see this aircraft here at the air show this year and uh, wish you all the best for the future and enjoy your rest of the day at the air show thank you very much it's a great pleasure to be here and great talking to you thank you okay so we've come to the end of the malta international air show 2015 and i'm here with joe kiliberti and Chiliberti, sorry, we're late at that. And uh, I'm here with Joe, and it's the end of the show and end of a fantastic day. I must say, Joe, I've had an absolutely awesome time here. For me, it's a holiday, but I've also been lucky enough to come to the air show here and uh, to meet you. So, so Joe, go into how, how much organization does it take to put this show together? First of all, thank you for your kind words. I'm glad that you like the show. It is something that we prepare from a year, for a whole year. The way we do it is us being at the end of the display season. We actually send the invitations out before the actual show itself. So what we do is like today is the end of the show, but in reality we've already sent the invitations out for next year's. That's how it works. And usually it is like we go quiet for a while, for two months. And during those two months we do a lot of lobbying with different air forces, you know, possible participants and all that. And after that, from February, March, we start hearing of who's coming, who's not coming, things like that. Then the real work starts with uh, the ground operations, uh, tower and all that. Interestingly here, which is quite unique, is that this is a, the only airport on the island. So we cannot actually shut down the country from the air <laughs> for the air show. So what we do is uh, we try to mix, mingle, merge, call it whatever, the commercial traffic with the air show traffic. So what we do is that during the actual uh, national aerobatic displays, 
That is when the airspace is closed. But with the others, we try to find slots in between. And interestingly enough, the uh, tower here, Air, Air Traffic Services, they actually do a simulation of the whole event from a week before. And they train like day and night to see how things will work, to make sure not to be of too much of an interruption to the commercial traffic while keeping the flow at the air show. It's not an easy task for those guys, and I pity them sometimes because I'm the one who's, who's creating all this grief for them. But in the end, they are as proud as we are that we actually get things running safely. Oh, great. So all the countries now, do you approach these countries directly and ask them whether they want to, to put in a, a display aircraft here? Or do, they, do they come to, some of the countries come to you? Uh, in 23 years, I've never had any country that came to me. So what, how it works is we send the invitations to everybody out there. And uh, then we just wait for, for their replies, of course, with the lobbying and all that. Sometimes you get uh, a negative reply, but with a hint that we will... Yeah, try to make it happen the following year. And many times it happens, and many times it happens. So the most important thing with some countries, they are pretty steady. You know I mean, like they, they show pretty much every year. With other countries, like Egypt was a very good example. I mean, to get a, the Egyptian Air Force to an air show is no small feat. And we managed that last year, and we thought, you know, this would be the end of it. No, they showed up again this year. And they've also promised that they might come even with their display team next year. In fact, that is why they sent one of their jets of the national dis Egyptian display team in their colors to the show this year. And the pilot, as soon as he came out, he says, Ooh, this time it's one, next time it will be the whole team. <laughs> now, it's also good as well to see uh, some of, 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 of my countries, for the Royal Air Force here. It was uh, nice to see them, uh, those guys here this year. It, was, it wasn't just the Air Force, this time it was really quite varied because we had the Army with the parachute team, the Tigers, we had the Navy with the Merlin on the, on the ground and the Black Cats, and we had the Typhoons and the, and the King Air, so it was, and the Navy Avenger, so it was a very good representation of the British forces to Malta. Well, I'm, I'm, glad we, I'm glad we brought some people out here anyway to, uh, to, to give you some sort of show. But uh, any highlights that um, struck out for you on, on this weekend? Any, any major sort of show, uh, displays that really stick out for you? Yes, us being as organisers, we're obviously very keen on, uh, on aviation. So to us, the Greek Mirages, the One Squadron Typhoons, you know, the Greek Texans, the T-6s, who are also in the flying display, and the Romanians for us, they were the first time they came to Malta. So those were our highlights. For the public, it's slightly different. The public, the public here always looks for the red arrows. So, <laughs> and we cannot actually get the red arrows every year because the red arrows are sort of, yeah, you don't expect the red arrows to have them every year in Malta, but it's something that, you know, you have, you just, one has to just balance things out. Oh, great. So is there any, uh, can you give any sort of secrets as to what we might uh, get next year at the Malta Air Show for 2016? If I give you any secrets, I would be lying because I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> but we so, should have a good lineup. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, usually the, uh, the interesting things are things that happen uh, with a lot of hardware two years previously. And we worked very hard last year for what we plan to have next year. And one has to keep in mind that this being the 23rd, in two years, it will be our 25th, so that would be a real big one. But we have to make sure that we continue on the growth we've been having the last few years. So the 24th would be equally interesting before we go for the 25th. Oh, brilliant. Have you, have you had a chance to visit any of the air shows in the UK at all? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I go, I go to quite a few air shows in the UK. I must say that I'm a, a student of uh, Riyadh. 
Okay. That's how it all started. You know, I, I've been going to Riyadh since 1977, way back in uh, Greenham Common. I only missed one in 1989. And I used to observe a lot of things, but it was all new for us here. And it went well, pretty well the first time, and we continued building on that. So, yes, I do, I do many air shows in the UK. I actually visit the UK more than six or eight times a, a year. So I'm quite familiar with the aviation, military aviation scene in the UK. Oh, that's brilliant. I'm glad to hear you at least come out. Because I was at Riyadh this year, and it was, it was, the weather was brilliant. Uh, a bit like what we had today, some really good weather. and It was a fantastic show. But like I said, Joe, I have to say, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, this has been a fantastic show here, and I really do have to lift my hat off to you because you've, you've done a great job with what the, what the display acts have been here. And also the way the whole show has been organized, I think you know, you've, you've got a hand at it. You've, you've done a great job. Thanks, thanks, Carlos. I really appreciate that. And we look forward to having you with us next year. Thank you, Joe. So, Joe, thanks very much for your time and appearing on the show. And uh, we look forward to meeting you next year at uh, Malta International Air Show 2016. Cheers, Carlos. We look forward to that. Thank you. Okay, so you join me in my uh, hire car. Just uh, left the Malta International Air Show 2015. And uh, just thought I'd give you uh, my views on the air show and uh, what a fantastic air show it's been it has uh, had a massive variety of aircraft not just static but also uh, on display flying as well and uh, I'm currently uh, just following the uh, roadway round the flight line um, so I've got a good view of the Black Cats display team on my left and also the F-16 Fighting Falcon from the Belgian um, display team uh, which is just to my left now got some great pictures of that doing its display with the afterburners lit it was absolutely fantastic uh, so on reflection the show was uh, was fantastic it's very well run and uh, very well um, sort of put together the show uh, by everyone involved um, a big uh, thank you to uh, Paul Lucas Spateri uh, who arranged for me to uh, come to the show today and also Joe uh, Chilberti, uh, I've just uh, interviewed Joe and a uh, big thanks to Joe as well, he was, he's, he's kind of the main man, the main man who puts everything together, so a big uh, thank you to him and uh, for putting together what was, as I said, a great show, the weather has been fantastic here on the island of Malta, uh, sun all day, I think I'm probably going to regret not putting on a second layer of uh, suntan cream when I get back uh, but uh, all in all it's been a great day with some great display aircraft uh, the Swiss put on a fantastic show at uh, the beginning of the air show which was brilliant and also the uh, Greeks uh, Greeks uh, Daedalus team put on a fantastic show as well which uh, with their T6 uh, display aircraft uh, the trainers uh, a couple of points to make I have to make uh, whilst uh, we're talking about the Internet the Malta International Air Show is uh, on contrast from the air shows that we have in the UK I will have to say the program which was a very well put together program um, with uh, all the usual color photos and descriptions and display timings in that display program cost me three euros um, which you know going by the exchange rate is, is a roughly roundabout two pounds fifty for the uh, display 
souvenir program. Now compare that to the prices of uh, souvenir programs in the UK. Uh, well, you you're going to put at least another ten pounds on top of that uh, for a display program, and also the food and drink on offer on site as well was a very very big difference to the UK. Um, food prices and drink prices on the site on the uh, on the air display site were exactly the same. Uh, prices you pay in any shop on the island that's including all the water and soft drinks and also uh, hot uh, food that was being produced on the site were all uh, very very uh, reasonable price uh, which is something you unfortunately you don't see in the UK um, but there we go uh, the show like I said was brilliant can't wait to come back to Malta again next year for 2016 for the air show definitely going to be a date in the diary hopefully uh, Matt might be able to join me out here next year um, if he's uh, got enough money saved up in his piggy bank so from a very sunny indeed and uh, very warm uh, Malta uh, it's uh, a goodbye from me and going to hand you back to well back to me and Matt in the studio this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. TheVoicesInYourHead.com The Plain Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pays us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening and we're back we are. yes you. hope you all enjoyed those interviews from the malta international air show 2015 i Absolutely, thoroughly enjoyed them myself. Mm, absolutely. And uh, me and Matt have uh, had a had a cup of court, uh, a cup of tea did. actually. Yes, had a cup of tea. All, we're all and, uh, fresh to Pip this, yeah. is. Um, oh no! Oh, no. <laughs> what? Where? Where are you finding these? Do you have some random collection of silly Pip, hats? Or Pip has got. I know. <laughs> I love my hats. <laughs> well, quite right. You're clearly my silly clearly Christmas yes. hats. <laughs> I thought I'd done well with with uh, yes. No. Because it looks like someone's taken the the hat out and just left a, the interior part of that. That's <laughs> not very. Nice. Be nice to our guest. Would oh, you, he looks. He looks lovely. <laughs> That's marvellous. Anyway, back to the. Uh, aviation he, he must be the most. Event. He must be the most amazing person to be with on Christmas Day morning. Oh, I, I bet. Think. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, honestly, our house is, is is crazy on Christmas morning. I can't wait. Well, with Alfie, yeah, I yeah. bet it is. <laughs> oh yeah, he loves the paper. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got uh, we've got the military segments to do next. We've got a yes. tiny bit of feedback to come yep. from uh, someone who's been in the chat room today. Mm, yes. And our um, our competition details to run. So uh, we're going to yes. go next then with the military segment. So if everyone's ready, yes, let's do this. Let's go. <laughs>
So first story then uh, this week then on the Flight Global site, and uh, this is something I picked up on uh, while I was listening to the Airplane Geeks, their latest episode. Oh. And uh, the United States Navy moves to modify Super Hornets for the Blue Angels, which are the American version of, uh, kind of the American version of the Red Arrows, really. Um, but the Blue Angels, I've yet to see these guys, but mm. they're supposed to be fantastic. Yeah. So the U.S. Navy has started a process to replace the Blue Angels demonstration team's aircraft with a squadron of Boeing FA-18E Super Hornets. <laughs> Boeing will receive uh, a contract to draw up the engineering plans needed to convert the single-seat uh, Super Hornet into a configuration specific to the Blue Angels role. Um, the Navy said this in a 3rd of December acquisition notice. The engineering work will support Engineering Change Proposal 6480, which is entitled Navy Flight Demonstration Squadron Blue Angels Super Hornet Conversion. The acquisition document uh, shows this, and the Blue Angel Squadron is composed of a mix of one-seat FA-18As and Cs, and two-seat FA-18Bs and Ds. The FA-18AB Hornets replaced the Douglas A-4 Skyhawk as the Blue Angels aircraft in 1986, and recently have been showing their age. Uh, structural uh, panels escaped from two different FA-18As in aerial demonstrations a week apart in May and in early June. Since 2010, the Navy has been moving FA-18Cs and Ds into the squadron, but now the service is considering moving the Super Hornet into the role. To perform the Blue Angels role, the FA-18Es will likely need similar design changes that made the, uh, the, made the Navy's performed on the original Hornet fleet. These include removing the fighter guns, uh, missile launchers, installing flight auxiliary fuel pumps that can operate in sustained inverted maneuvers, and inserting an oil pump in the tail to emit blue smoke. Also, a spring is uh, added to the control stick for better handling in formation and inverted flight. Through sharing a common naming and designing heritage as the classic Hornets, the FA-18E would mark a significant change for the Blue Angels. The Super Hornet is 25% larger and has 40% more range and Cs and Ds, making the aircraft sustainably larger. Uh, a note on the Blue Angels official website cites the Super Hornet's extra heft as one reason why the older model is favoured for public demonstration roles. While the Super Hornet is more recently, uh, has, or has more recent technology, the Hornet is more suitable for the needs of the current team due to its lightweight and slick maneuverability, says the Navy document. So this is great news then. I mean, um, you know, over here in the UK, obviously with the Red Arrows having the Hawks uh, and the, in the Navy, obviously the, um, the uh, Blue Angels having the, uh, the FAA, the 18s. And now they're getting these refreshed models, um, courtesy of them the US Navy. I mean, this is uh, awesome. I'll keep those guys going for another 10, 20 years um, yeah, with absolutely. aircraft, hopefully. But uh, I'm yet to see the... Uh, I'd love to see the Blue Angels. Um, I'm not sure whether they've been across here to the UK before. Mm. Perhaps someone in the chat room might know that. But uh, if anyone in the chat room has seen the Blue Angels, uh, get, let us know what they're like. We've got quite a few people in the chat room. But uh, I, I might have seen them. Really? I can't remember if it was the Blue Angels or what's the other one. Is it the Thunderbirds? That um, yeah, the have the F-16s. This is a long time ago uh, in Chicago, and they were they were doing an air show out over the lake. Uh, this was in '97, and uh, we, I remember sitting in a bar on the pier there at uh, in Chicago watching it. But I can't remember if it was the Blue Angels or the other ones. Anyway, it was very good, whatever it was. Mm, I bet. Yeah, they sound amazing. 
it's um yeah it's, what what was our, our our impromptu display that was was taking place over our part of the world oh the uh, fa 15 uh, the were 15s. They 15s or 16s yeah the eagles yeah absolutely the fa 15 i wonder what they eagles. were up to I know there's a pair of, wasn't there? Yeah. Oh, was a pair, was it? Yeah, there's a pair here, yeah, yeah. flying over here, um, rather low. Mm. Uh, oh, by, by Shortbucker in oh, the yeah. uh, chat room. He's now going. He's got yes, to, to go. Well, yes. um, but no. <laughs> oh, it'd be nice to see these guys over here mm. in the UK perhaps uh, next year. We'll have to send them an invite yeah, across. Definitely. Yeah. Yes. So, so next story. Happens. Yes, next story. This is on Flight Global again, and it's final piece eagle, uh, A, E, W, and C, delivered to Turkey. Uh, Boeing has delivered the fourth 737-700-derived Peace Eagle airborne early warning and control system aircraft to the Turkish Air Force at Konya Air Base, completing Ankara's uh, acquisition of the Type 13 years after it was ordered. Blimey, that's quite a quite a long time to uh, to wait for that to be done. Hang on, sorry, slight, slight Camera's thing. moved there. Yeah, sorry, slight technical glitch. <laughs> That's better. That was a lovely image. The first three aircraft were delivered between February and September 2014. These were followed by the fourth and final example named Bally or West on the 9th of December. Boeing says that this includes software upgrades to the aircraft and ground-based element and that these enhancements will uh, be rolled out over uh, to the uh, other three-piece Eagles. Turkey is currently the only nation in uh, the region uh, with the 737-based uh, AEW and C capability. Um, the managing director of Boeing Turkey has said, by combining Boeing's innovative engineering with the expertise provided by local Turkish industry partners, we've delivered an enhanced world-class airborne surveillance system to our customer. The AEWNC platform contains 10 mission crew consoles for tracking airborne and maritime targets simultaneously. The battle management capabilities allow mission uh, crew to direct offensive and defensive forces while maintaining continuous surveillance of the operational area, Boeing says. Four of the same type are in service with both Royal Australian Air Force and the Republic of Korea Air Force, Flight Global's fleet's analyzer database shows. So the E-7 Wedgetail, a uh, number of these built, 14. Mm -hmm. There's 14 of these been built. Yep. And um, they also have, uh, these are based obviously on the 737, as you said, the 737-700. Dash mm. um, They also have the capability to be, to be refueled in air. Uh, just behind the uh, flight, there right. is uh, the support for refueling from other aircraft. So these wow. uh, these aircraft can be refueled um, in the air by other aircraft, Goodness. which is pretty cool. Yeah, well, we're therefore keeping them in the air longer, basically. Mm. If they haven't got to come. Yeah, you know. and these are these are distinguishable by a rather large, hence the name wedge tail, mm. uh, just in front of the tail above mm. the fuselage. There's a huge, uh, like a, a radar system, uh, which wow. is built onto the top of the aircraft. Not the spinning rate, the dome, like no. you, uh, yeah. with a yeah. so, but it's kind of like a, it's kind of like someone's put like a park bench on top of the aircraft. <laughs> I think you can sort of say, nice. But, um, As but you no, do, that's pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> On to the the uh, the penultimate story then, and this one is with you, Pip. Okay, this is something about Chinooks from Flight Global, and the headline is "Final New Build Chinooks Delivered to the UK Royal Air Force." Uh, Boeing has delivered the last fourteen new build CH forty seven Chinook HC six helicopters to the UK's Royal Air Force, taking the service's total inventory of the heavy lift type to 60. 
Based at RF Odium in the south of England, the UK's Chinook Force also includes the HC3 and HC4 variants, with the former in the process of being raised to HC5 standard via the Project Julius program upgrade. Uh, this adds a common digital cockpit to the existing fleet. The 38 examples of the HC4 having already been converted from the HC2, identical to those on the newly delivered helicopters. In addition, the 46-strong fleet of older variants is gaining a separate modification that adds a digital automatic flight control system, identical to that on the HC6. Work on the upgrade is due to be completed by 2018. And somebody says, these new Mark VI helicopters will significantly enhance our existing heavy lift helicopter and special forces capability, says Air Marshal Julian Young, Director of Helicopters at the UK's Defence Equipment and Support Procurement Body. Mm -hmm. Our overall fleet of 60 Chinooks will support our frontline troops in current and future operations for decades to come. Wow. So hooray for the Chinook. Absolutely. I do love the Chinook. Mm, um, me too. Yeah. Uh, be beautiful thing. I've, I've only seen... It's local to us, isn't it? They're quite often at uh, yeah, the airfield over, over there, isn't yeah. it? They are a, a cracking piece of kit. Yeah, they? you often see them around here as well, or you often hear them around here at least. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, Always absolutely. see them, but you, yeah. you can hear them a mile off. You know what it is. Yeah. There's no uh, mistaking it's, a Chinook. Yeah. It, it, even to, to a novice like me who really knows very little about aviation, it is that that noise is something that you, that you just can't confuse it with anything else, can you? Mm. So the HC Mark One first flew in uh, March 1980. Gosh. Wow. Yeah, that's quite a few years back. Yeah. Uh, 58 in built in number in total. Uh, unit cost of £60 million. Pounds. Um, that's for the latest version of that. So £60 million will get you uh, Well, between you and I, uh, Matt, then we should have just enough left over from our lottery winnings to get Absolutely. one. Absolutely. I think so, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> it's clearly the way forward. Uh, yeah, you, you can fire that one, Pip. I'm, I'm more of a fixed-wing person myself. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, maybe Matt can do the helicopter stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put you through for a helicopter licence. That'd be good. Yeah, yeah. I'm laughing hysterically now, ladies. I can't They're anything. easy to fly. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh, I think. <laughs> have you ever flown in a helicopter? Either, I, 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 a a once, couple of times, have, but only yeah. at shows. Yeah, no, I yeah. have yeah. once. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I, um, I'm trying to think. It was um, an uh, an air show we were at ages and ages ago, and it sort of lifted us, lifted us up and took us took us round. I think it was the. Oh, I'll tell you where it was. It was the I the I show. Do you remember the I oh, show? Oh yeah, the I show. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Back back in the day, um, but uh, yeah, that that was that was quite a. It's um, uh, Ray Davis. Just uh, as, as a as side thing, has said in the chat room here. It's uh, he that he loves the Blue Angels. Going over to the Super Hornet um, should make the show more interesting. I know David from the Airplane Geeks is excited about this news also. Oh, and the Thunderbirds as well use the F sixteen, uh, which are coloured white. Pip. Oh. Yes, that's right. Uh, honestly, I can't remember which ones it was I saw in mm. Chicago, but um, yeah, they were lots of fun, whatever it was. So the last story uh, then is it's kind of not a story, it's a top ten then that we promised you last week yeah. uh, that we'll bring you this week, and we've got it. It's uh, over to you, Matt. Okay, so this is, uh, it's the headline, is the major powers are top ten of military aviation strength mm. uh, to coincide with the release of our world air forces directory for 2016 our top 10 feature lists the world's leading military fleets by operator nation with mm. more aircraft in its active inventory than the next six ranked nations combined the usa tops the chart i've just 
<laughs> I'm so sorry, uh, but which draws on data originally derived from uh, Flight Global's Fleet Analyzer database. Published on the 8th of December, our directory lists the more than 52,100 aircraft in service with 160 nations around the globe. So, in at number 10. So, at number 10, it is, frantically <laughs> scrolling down, at number it's 10 everyone's favorite. is North Korea. Oh, uh, such with a friendly nation. 944. <laughs> uh, Pyongyang's military might may be uh, questionable Pyongyang. in global terms. Pyongyang. Pyongyang. Yeah. But the thank you, Matt. But the North Korea—it's normally me who does. I know. Uh, the North Korea is uh, strong, at least in a numerical sense. Assessing the true status is highly challenging, but our numbers suggest that it can call on up to thirty-five RAC MiG twenty-nines or other um, car automobile services available. Oh, <laughs> Among an estimated fleet of five hundred and seventy combat aircraft. However, this number includes what are comparative museum pieces. <laughs> Shenyang's F5 model of the McCoyan Gurevich MiG-17. This recent image shows a trio of MiG-29s displaying at the Karma Airport I in Wonsan. I have to confess, the only reason I know Pyongyang is I've got a very fond memory of... Uh, have you ever heard of uh, a programme on Radio 4 called the News Quiz? No. And it was done yeah. by um, the legend that is, I think it was Hugh Dennis and, uh, and uh, Rory Bremner, and they were talking to each other about it, and it's like Pyongyang, it's one of those names where it very much sounds like, you know, it's a big catapult. Do you know what oh, right, yeah. Pyongyang! Yeah. <laughs> cool. uh, yeah, sorry, I need, so I need to get out more. Yes, anyway, well, in just, at number nine. Numbers, oh, just before oh, you go on, oh, sorry, yes. it says 944. Is that the total number of airframes? Airframes, yeah. And, wow. and the 2% next to it, is that the, the total percentage of, of the world global. That's it. Uh, military aircraft? Okay, just Wow, good. You see, see, sorry, continue. No, 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 because you've explained it to our listeners, which is great because it didn't mean anything to me. Anyway. So you, you can do number nine, Pip. Uh, anyway, in number at nine. number nine. Oh, it's very festive. It's Turkey with <laughs> 1,007 uh, aircraft, military aircraft, yeah, which accounts okay. for 2% of the global um, total. Mm. And it says, Turkish aerospace industries earlier this year completed deliveries from an initial batch of nine T-129 attack helicopters for the nation's army. Another 51 are to be supplied an enhanced B model standard. Oh, there's the picture. Nice. Uh, with this to feature an expanded array of weapons, Ankara sparked a, a diplomatic crisis in late November 2015 when one of its F-16s was used to shoot down a Russian Air Force Sukhoi-24 mm. along its border with Russia. Uh-oh. Yes. <laughs> Open that kind of... And uh, anyway, at uh, number eight. So at number eight, it is Egypt. Uh, with 1,133. For the first time this year, this director includes confirmed export numbers for the Dassault Raphael, or Raphael, due to a bumper start by the French airframer. Egypt has received its first three of the aircraft from a total order for 24, while Qatar, that's Qatar, Qatar. for the uh, APG listeners, has ordered the <laughs> same number with an option for a further dozen. We could say Farnborough. Uh, stop it. Sorry. Separately, this is uh, this calendar year also included the last deliveries of Lockheed Martin F-16s to the Egyptian Air Force, which we list as now having 220 examples in the A to D model standards. <laughs> Only the USA, Israel and Turkey operate more of the single engine type. In at number seven. Uh -huh. It's our old friends, the French, with 1,282 uh, military aircraft, which again is 2%. 
of the total. And mm. um, what does it say about the French? Involved in the coalition campaign together, uh, targeting sorry, Islamic State militants in Iraq and Syria, and also active in maintaining stability in West Africa, France needs a strong armed forces. While its fast jet total falls a fraction short of our directory's top 10 listing of combat aircraft per nation, its inventory places it firmly in the top tier of all other categories, including combat helicopters. The French Army's 181 Aerospatial-built SA-341s account for one-third of its aircraft in the latter class. Mm. Who would have thunk it? The French. <laughs> Bonjour. But, brilliant. Well done. Thank you. Uh, number six. Number six, it's South Korea mm. with 1,429. 3%. Ten, ten. Uh, I'd be pleased with that. Oh, no. The <laughs> Seoul's major procurement decision of the last year was to select the Airbus A and Defence and Space to supply it with four A330 military multi-role tanker transports. Despite having more than 500 combat aircraft, it currently has no tanker capability. Also, during 2015, Korea Airspace Industries signed up a fourth export customer for its T-50 advanced uh, jet trainer. Thailand's order for four examples follows previous deals with Indonesia, Iraq and Philippines, included for a light strike example. In at number five... It's Japan with 1,590 aircraft, which is 3% of the world total. While its days may be relatively numbered in Japanese service with the replacement Lockheed Martin F-35A on contract, the McDonnell Douglas slash Mitsubishi F-4 is still an important part of its Air Force fleet. Japan's combined total of 71 strike and reconnaissance rolled Phantoms is equaled only by South Korea among the six nations still operating the veteran type. Meanwhile, Tokyo this year signed its first production order for the Bell Boeing MV-22 tilt rotor and also recently selected Boeing's KC-46A tanker for a three-aircraft requirement. Wow, I didn't realise anyone was still flying F-4 Phantoms. It's got quite a retro Very look about cool. it, hasn't it? <laughs> it really yeah, does. I mean, that's a classic, great air. Four. Number four, it's India, 2086, 4%. Uh, continued strong investment by India has safeguarded the nation's fourth place ranking in our list with 180 more aircraft added to our data in, during 2015. Among the large number of types flown by its air arms, the Dornier 228 is one of the most versatile, fulfilling roles from utility transport to maritime surveillance. Combined, the Indian Air Force and Navy operate 65 of the 92 examples of the twin-engine type in military service around the world, with confirmed and pending orders for a further 36. I think you see there the Dornier on there. That's quite a popular aircraft over here in, in Europe as well, um, in the colours there. So in? Uh, in at number three. In at number three, it's China, with 2,942, which accounts for 6% of the global total. Beijing's military aircraft inventory saw a net increase of more than 80 units in the time since our last directory was released, says Flight Global. Its total strength includes over 1,500 combat aircraft and 800-plus combat helicopters, with the latter including indigenous models such as the Harbin Z-19, which is the, the picture perhaps that uh, Matt's going to put up, our data, there we go, our data shows the People's Liberation Army ground force as having 105 of the design in active use. So, wow, lots of helicopters. Mm. Don't mess with the Chinese. No, mm. indeed, yeah, and 6%, as you say, of total global domination, isn't it? Anyway, number two. Oh, I love this photo. 
Uh, number two, it's Russia. Let's, let's bring that up before with, you move uh, on, because that's, that, that's, wow, that, the colour the scheme is awesome. stunning, isn't it? So Russia with 3,547, or 7% mm. of the world. The Russian military has had a busy 2015. Have, really? Uh, with high <laughs> levels of activity close to the Baltic states, and more recently a major offensive mounted from a rapidly activated base inside Syria. Mm and also over here in the UK. Hmm. One of its most modern types, the Air Force's striking Sukhoi Su-34, has been present in both theatres. Moscow's fleet of the combat asset has grown by 10 units to 61 aircraft since uh, the previous directory, with at least 123 eventually to be introduced. That colour scheme is just it is, isn't it? I'm, I'm going to bring, bring that up again because it is absolutely stunning. It is. Uh, I mean, it's a kind of greeny, bluey... It is, yeah. 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 Uh, I don't know how well camouflaged it would be against a sort of standard blue sky, but uh, mm. anyway, I guess that's not the reason for them doing it. Uh, anyway, finally at number one. Woo-hoo. And big surprise, it's Andorra. Uh, I'm USA, <laughs> is that not Andorra, United <laughs> States of Andorra? I thought it was Ryanair. Yeah, well, USA, was, uh, United States of America. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. No surprise. And the USA with uh, by far and away the largest number of military aircraft at 13,717, which accounts for 26% of the global uh, total. Yeah. Nowhere in the world of military aviation is the USA more dominant numerically than in the tanker category, with numbers showing its armed services is having 78% of the global fleet. Its 586 strong inventory of air-to-air refuelers includes an astonishing 396 Boeing KC-135s. The image, which Matt's going to put up, shows 11 of the type preparing to take part in a multinational exercise from uh, Kadena Air Base in Japan this year. So, crikey, nearly 14,000 aircraft. That's... That's outrageous. It's yeah, astonishing. And how many pilots does that equate to? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I mean, you're talking 20. There must be, I don't know, in the region of 100,000 pilots, perhaps. Mm. Yeah. So to manage all of that, maybe more. I mean, that's. I mean, you just got to look at the, huge. the percentage, haven't you? 26%. So it's over a quarter. Uh, of the entire world. No wonder they're talking about a pilot shortage, Pip. <laughs> they're all in the States. <laughs> well, yeah. that's it. I mean, a lot of the pilots, you know, 100,000 pilots, just the, the mm. Air Force, is it? Or is that mm. the USA as a whole? That's the USA. Does that include that's... the Navy and the Marines? Oh, maybe it does. Mm. But uh, whatever. I mean, it's just huge. So it all is. those pilots needed to, to fly those aircraft. Crazy, isn't it? 100,000 plus. I mean, you know, we obviously didn't make the top 10 uh, list no. at all. I think no. we've got... It's just one guy and a dog and a, a paper aeroplane. Yeah, and, 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 and a tanker that isn't quite finished. Yeah, and our, yeah. And our maritime su- uh, support fleet. Oh, yeah, we haven't got one. We had to borrow it from the French. Oh, did we? Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's right, because mm. we don't have any Sea Kings. No, well, we don't have any anymore, maritime no. aircraft at no all. Good. No good. Excellent. Well, that's, you know. No, we good. could always call on our Harrier. On the I was making good use of those. Uh, yeah. They're the Spanish have got all our hands. Have they? Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Time they are now. Anyway, on that bombshell. <laughs> on that bombshell. Uh, that is where it is, I'm afraid. We've just got a little bit of a, a, a listener. segment before we f- sign off. We've got a little bit of a listener we've got, feedback. We've got a listener feedback to do, and then we've got uh, our competition information. Mm. Um, so we do have a, a listener who sent in some voice uh, feedback today. Yes. Yep. And uh, very kind of her indeed. So we're going to play that for you right now. Yeah. Good morning. This is Jenny in Rome. Uh, I'm speaking to you from Rome this morning. It's a lovely day, blue skies, sunshine, although a bit cold. 
Anyway, I wanted to say hello to you all and thank you, Matt and Carlos, for last week's show, which was great with Dr. Steph. It's always such fun listening to, to your podcast. I really enjoy it. Why I'm sending you this uh, message is because I've discovered a really good website for planning travel. It's called RomeToRio.com and you, it arranges the travel for you between any two points on the globe and it gives you all the alternative ways of, of doing the journey so, and that includes planes, trains, buses, driving, ferries and it gives you an idea of the times and, and uh, costs etc. And this is really good, just out of interest I put in Rome to Dereham which is where um, I go to when I, I, in fact I've been travelling for 25 years I've been doing this journey in all ways possible I thought anyway I've discovered a way that's going to cut at least a, I would think about 40 minutes off my journey and be cheaper thanks to um, a bus I knew nothing about from Kings Lynn to Dereham so that's great the website again it's Rome to Rio R-O-M-E-T-O-R-I-O dot com Rome to Rio dot com, or you can do the two as a number, they both work. Anyway, I highly recommend it. And, by the way, I enjoyed the bit about uh, coach travel last week. I think you could have a coach, a coach driver's or a coach journey corner to your show. Um, I mean, ask the coach driver. There's all sorts of interesting information and things I'd like to know about routes up and down the UK and best times to travel. I'll tell you one story. When I was a student and going from London to Edinburgh overnight with the, probably National Express or something, five pounds at the time, I was absolutely astounded and somewhat horrified to see they changed the driver while they were tanking up the M1 motorway. The driver sort of stood up in the seat with his hand still on the wheel and the other driver sort of slid in behind him and then the first driver slid out. Well... There you go. Right then, uh, bye for now. Looking forward to the show this morning. Hope to be able to join you in the chat room. Bye. Well, thanks for that voice feedback, Jenny. Very, very kind of you indeed. Matt's gobsmacked here by what you just said about changing drivers while driving not gobsmacked i'm absolutely <laughs> horrified i can't think oh my goodness me i, I mean i've i've, I've heard... I mean, you've got room to do it but no you have no just <laughs> oh my goodness me uh, and and uh, yeah don't don't be alarmed anyone there are no plans to bring any kind of coaching matters corner to mm. the oh Olympic. that's a shame no I would, stop it <laughs> i would love that no, coach you cast, you could call yeah, that. coach cast, yeah, whatever. Would that be something you you could try on your aircraft, Pip? You know, mid-flight, you know, just uh, you know, you know, during during, during the takeoff seats. roll, just sort of change seats, bit of musical change chairs. seats. Yeah, I mean, if I, if I was awake, then yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, according to, I mean, according to, uh, to, to APG, I mean, it, the pilots and that, you you just press a button, didn't you? Take off, and it, it does it all for you, and then oh, you, oh absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> completely. It, it's it's that simple. And press a button to land. It's it's hard. It's, it's really it's really quite easy. But we do have uh, some our competition uh, uh, to, that we're running for Christmas. We do, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it is to win this. Here, I'll put this in front of the camera okay, so you guys can go, see yes. this. 
Uh, oh, there we go. Oh, if you can see, if I get catch it without the yeah. light, with it, it. without the window reflecting in uh, it. Yes. Oh, there we yeah. go. It's something like that. Anyway, Flying Wild oh. Alaska. Is so, Flying Wild Alaska is the uh, is the prize. But we have uh, we've invested uh, sheer amounts of money here, have and we've we? managed to uh, to get a runners up prize. Um, Whoa! It's it's something rather special, actually. We've got here, and this is an official, <gasps> and and this is a uh, pen. Oh wow! Look at that. There we go. Never, never mind the listeners. I want that. <laughs> so that is a that is an actual official wow. Red Arrows pen there in a display box, so you can cool. uh, so you can uh, keep that uh, keep that in your Get office you. or wherever you are. There we go. So it can be a runners up prize in the uh, competition. Uh, we've got three questions that we're asking, mm. and uh, we still need. We're going to uh, run the uh, the winners. We're going to do that in our next. Are we going to tap up? Are we going to have one more show before Christmas or two? What we've got we one more show. One before more show, Christmas, as far as I'm aware. Right, yeah, we've got one more show before Christmas, so we are going to then do the um, the answers to this show on our next show, which will be on. on the 18th yeah, something like that. Yeah, of, the Friday um, or the Saturday, the 18th or the 19th. Yeah, like that, oh. we haven't quite had chance to look at diaries to find out when we're recording. Um, but, but you'll be uh, able to uh, to be able to uh, to enter the competition. So we've got three questions. Question one is: uh, What film features a Lockheed L-1011 TriStar under the airline name American Pride? That's what film features a Lockheed L-1011 TriStar? That's the same thing as what does same aircraft what uh, Captain Jeff used to fly. Mm. me. The airline name American Pride. Question two. On the 10th of June 1965, the first commercial passenger carrying airliner made uh, a landing using Autoland, but what was the aircraft? So that's on the 10th of June 1965, the first commercial passenger carrying airliner made a landing using Autoland, but what was the aircraft? And the third question is. Uh, in the Flying Wild Alaska series, which is our top prize, what is Jim Tweeto's beloved aircraft of choice? That's in the Flying Wild Alaska series, what is Jim Tweeto's beloved aircraft of choice? And uh, I can assure you, because one or two of the messages that have been coming backwards and forwards have been, well, if we already know the answer to that, then we don't. Uh, that, that question is the answer to that question. I can confirm you will find the answer if you do an appropriate Google search. So there Don't we tell are. them how to find no, out. No, absolutely. No, we want as many people to be able to enter as possible. I know, I know. But we, uh, yeah, yeah, an e extra, extra runners-up prize. Don't forget as well mm. that red arrows uh, pen in the display box Definitely. as well. So that's pretty yeah. cool. So don't forget, send your answers into the show via our email address. Yes, that is. UK.com. That's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, can you also please get your audio feedback in? We want lots of Christmas messages yeah, to put out definitely. for for our, our Christmas, Christmas and New uh, New Year shows that are mm. going. They're not going to be live ones, I'm afraid, but they there will be podcasts available as per normal to download. Uh, and uh, to get in touch with the show, it is facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk. Uh, Andle is at plaintalkinguk. Pip, how do they get hold of your marvelous little offering? They can find me at www.plainsafetypodcast.com. Yep. Uh, hopefully, going to be talking to Captain Al next week. So there should oh, be cool. another episode mm. out. He's a good soon. guest. You'll, you'll have you'll have a good good laugh with that. Yeah. Actually. Well, yeah. I had him once before. Actually, mm. we had a good old chat. Yeah. Um, and then you also have yeah, the usual places: Facebook and, and Twitter yeah. and, and all of that stuff. Fantastic. And you, you re as you were saying earlier, when you just recently uh, released another episode. So uh, yes, that's uh, right. Yeah, that was uh, as of a couple of days ago. Fresh, shiny content there to look forward to. 
Though that is where we bring episode number 90. 90! So next week will be our last live, live show, show before Christmas. That's correct, yep. Um, yeah. And we'll put those posts on Facebook so you'll see when yes. the links are to uh, to what day. I think we'll probably do a Saturday. Saturday at the moment. Yeah. 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 So that's cool. Well, thank you ever so much. The, uh, the ultimate legend that is Pilot Pip for joining us on the show. Oh, yeah. my pleasure. I've enjoyed it it's been as good usual. Yeah. yeah, cool. Lots of fun. Yeah. Don't, forget, uh, don't forget to download, as we said, Pilot Pip's show, Plane Safety Podcast mm. over on iTunes. And as you can see, those who have been watching on the magic of YouTube, he does have a fabulous array of festive hats. Well, <laughs> just put them all on now. Let's yeah, absolutely. Every single one. Yeah. <laughs> Multi multi hatting, <laughs> indeed. Yes. Anyway, and I'll get the penguin on as well. <laughs> oh, blimey! <laughs> yes, I'm sorry to, to those who are listening to this in audio format. This this next section you've got is to entirely look at this on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. but uh, that looks yeah. awesome. Yeah, uh, that that is what well, it's, it's a work of art. It is. Uh, it is your, the ultimate. your challenge for uh, for this week, Pip, is to uh, take a photo of yourself on the flight deck wearing all of those <laughs> hats. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, and we'll get that on Facebook. So that yeah, is it. Yeah, that's uh, it then. It, that is it. That's where we bring uh, this fabulous episode to a close. So thanks to everyone in the chat room who's joined us this morning: Masha, Ray Davis, uh, Mark Harvey, uh, Paul Tricker. We had in the chat room as well. Uh, Shortbacker. We had in the chat room. Dan Hannington was in yeah. the chat room as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm just scrolling up here. Um, oh, I'm trying to scroll up to the top here quickly. We've had well, we have had loads of people in the chat room. So mm. everyone in the chat room, yeah. thanks for joining us. We've also had yeah. uh, someone called Pilot Pip in the chat. Room. Some Luke, yeah, thanks yeah, to him absolutely. for joining us. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's so that's where we are going to bring the show to a close. Don't forget, get your competition entries in ASAP. Yeah, absolutely. And um, also uh, using that same email address, get your festive messages. Festive in, messages. And then yeah, always you festive can, messages. You can wish everyone who listens. As I say, we we get over two thousand downloads. Uh, to this, so there will be lots of people who yeah. will hear your festive messages. So yeah. make sure you get those in to the um, usual email address podcast at uk. That's so, it. Let's say goodbye, everyone. So for me, Carlos, it is a festively mince pie filled goodbye. And from Matt here, it is also a festive goodbye. And the most festive of them all, it has to be said, the legend that is Pilot Pip. From me, it's uh, my head is starting to overheat with all the. I can, <laughs> I can imagine. I'll have to go outside and cool down. But uh, thanks very much for having me on. Uh, thanks, everyone, in the chat room. Thanks to Jenny for that tip with the uh, website. I'm going to check I know, it out. yeah, it me too. Very useful. Yeah. Something I'll use. Thanks everyone for listening. See you Absolutely, all again very yeah. soon. See you, yeah. Take care then. Pip, we'll see we'll see we'll have you on the on the show again very soon, I'm sure. Great, but look uh, thanks to it. ever so much. All right, from all of us here, it is goodbye. Goodbye. goodbye.